I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Uh, greetings. I honor you guys. It's good to be in a church that prays, looks to the next generation, that worships, that listens to the voice of God, and has the courage to obey what it hears. Thanks, Meredith and Grant, for your leadership. Uh, like you said, we got adopted into the uh, Grace Family of Churches about a year ago. Um, and I, I want to let you know this. Being a part of your family of churches, uh, the thing that has meant the most to me is it's not the spiritual covering that comes from the legacy that you guys have and the incredible things that you're doing, although that's great. It is not that you guys are earth-shaking, disciple-making, gospel-taking, rooted renegades who just got this awesome ethos about them and I want to be a part of it. It's great, but it's not it. To be honest with you, the best part about being part of the Grace Family of Churches, for me personally, has been your pastor, Ben Hartman. Um, I get to be on a monthly call with him and another pastor who just got adopted. Um, and that time is sacred and special to me. Um, he pastors me, allows me to be a person. I'm a better man, husband, father, and pastor because of those times together where we get to process real life, real hurts, parenting stuff, church stuff, all the pressures that you feel and all the ways that you feel like we're failing. We get up and maybe we can talk pretty and pretty confidently sometimes in front of all of you, but just so we're clear, we're people too. Um, we struggle, we have fears, we have doubts, we have insecurities. And so to have a safe place to process that, it's meant the world to me. So I just wanna honor uh, your pastor uh, and this church and the staff and you guys who have stepped in and let him step away. Jesus did the same thing in his ministry. Part of his power came because he retreated to be alone with the Father. And so I want to honor you guys for letting him step away to replenish, to refuel mind, body, and soul. For me, that's the sign of a healthy congregation who doesn't pin all of its hopes on a lead pastor, but realizes his job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and we each should be Sabbathing and retreating in our own lives. And we sure want to give him the opportunity to do that. So I bless you guys in the name of Jesus for doing that. Um, so because I love him, I love you. Uh, and uh, I feel like we're, we're going to be fast friends. Um, I was looking through uh, your website, watching Douglas preach last week. He did an amazing job. Minor Prophets, not necessarily a great billboard that you want to go through. I love the entire Bible. I love all of it. But when I heard, hey, we're going through the minor prophets in the summer, you're like, wow. <laughs> okay, I submit. Great, here we go. Um, but you, you have this incredible mission statement. I'll put it up in case you're new to Grace Family or you just need to be reminded of it. You have a mission statement here in your church, and it is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that is fast asleep. Let me prompt you and you're gonna fill in the gaps. Our mission statement is to awaken, to live in a world. Let's try it one more time. Our mission statement is to awaken, to live in a world. There it is, you finding it? You remembering why you woke up this morning? You remembering who you are? Do you remember some of the history that's gone along with that? I love that. So then I have to come from the outside and ask you a very important question this morning. Are you awake or are you asleep? 
If that's your mission statement, then one of the questions I need to ask you is, are you awake? Or are you asleep right now in your life? Now, some of you may be saying, bro, wide awake. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. I am broken, but I am very much beloved by God. I am living freely and fully into the life, into the kingdom dreams God has called me into. It's not perfect, but I'm in process, and I am ready to roll. I'm learning more and more every day. I fall down, but I get back up. I'm surrounded by people who are encouraging me and keeping me accountable. Great. Some of you may be looking at me and saying, hey, bro, I'm awake, but not for much longer if you don't get to it, okay? You and your little hipster Nashville beard can head on back to town, and I hope you get stuck in traffic on the way there. <laughs> That's fair. fair. Fair play. Because there's something really defensive happening in your heart right now, and that is I have no clue the amount of frustration and failure you're experiencing in your marriage, in your job, with your children, and with your finances. And if God doesn't show up or give you what you want, you're going to snap. And you're borderline getting ready to say things like they're going to say in the prophet that we'll look at this morning. It's not worth it serving God. And you're ready to burn it all down in a scorched earth strategy, living a life of self-loathing and self-destructive behaviors. And in fact, it's already happening. This, the lid hasn't boiled off yet. You're just still doing a good job of hiding it. Are you awake or are you asleep? Some of you, your eyes are open and you're looking at me right now, but you know you're full on asleep. You can't handle it anymore. You showed up somewhere along the line. I don't think it was a major crisis. I don't think you can point back to exactly when it happened. But somewhere along the line in ordinary life, you succumbed to a satanic lullaby that put you in a sleeper hold and you're now just religiously going through the motions. But you really don't expect to meet with Jesus this morning. You don't expect your life to be any different than it was the day before. And you've lost hope that the love of God can penetrate your callous heart. And your disappointment has turned into bitterness, which has turned into unforgiveness, and which is keeping you from accessing the full love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you awake? Or are you asleep? Here's what I believe. That God brought all of us here this morning. To hear directly from his word. And to allow the spirit to do what only spirit can do. Resurrect us. Awaken us. Wake up, O oh sleeper, and let the light of Christ shine on you. That's his job, not my job. Our job is to partner with where God is at work and get in on the fun. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Malachi chapter 1. It's the last of the minor prophets in sequential order. It's right before Matthew. You can turn left. And I'm going to read a portion of chapter 1. While you're turning there, or we'll put it on the screens if you need some help, let me pray uh, for our time together in God's Word. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say the words that ravage your heart. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen? All right, so Malachi chapter 1. And again, he's dealing with a congregation that has gone fast asleep. Just a precursor when I start to read this. I'll try to read this as best I can. 
But Malachi means my messenger in Hebrew, and he is giving a rhetorical argument on behalf of God and imagining what the priests and Levites would say, okay? So this is all about broken promises and broken priorities, and it feels a little bit like you just got are overhearing a lover spat. Like, this is strong covenantal language. God's upset, and the people are upset, and it's almost as if, all right, gloves are off. We're not trying to pretend to be nice anymore. Let's sit down and have a DTR about what it really looks like to be a servant of Jesus or of God for them, right? So here it is. Try to pick up on this. It'll get a, just duck if some of the punches come off the page. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, but if I am father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's, my, where's your fear of me? says, the Lord of armies, to you priests who despise my name. Ouch, you don't like it when the Lord refers to him as the Lord of armies. Like, that's, he's flexing. You ask, how have we despised your name? Well, by presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask? By the way, this is the same conversation I have with my teenage daughter. <laughs> like, it, it, is, it is circular logic madness. And you just realize, oh, we're just, we're just going to keep talking about the same stuff, and I got to stay emotionally, self-differentiated, non-anxious presence, so that's to keep relationship intact. How have we defiled you, you ask? When you say the, lower, the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you present a lame or sick animal, is that not wrong? Bring that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. And now you're going to plead for God's favor? Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you a favor? Ask the Lord of the armies. Here it comes. Watch this. Oh, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not at all pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will presented to be in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it. When you say the Lord's table is defiled, its product, its food is contemptible, you also say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asks the Lord. You're doing great. Last verse. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male flock in his flock and makes a vow to sacrifice, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. Watch this. For I am a great king, says the Lord of the armies. My name will be feared among the nations. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. All right, so uh, minor prophets usually have some strong words. They're usually talking about in time of crisis like war or famine or something's going on. Now, Malachi is different in the sense that there's not really any of that stuff happening. What's happening is normal life just got a little bit too normal and boring. And all of a sudden, slowly but surely, without any crisis or something pushing them towards being dependent upon God, they got lazy. They got bored. 
started cutting corners in how they worship God, what they did with their sacrifices, what they were bringing in in their tithe, how they were treating God, and how they were treating each other. There becomes these broken practices and these broken promises. So, in a sense, you could say they've fallen asleep. How they worship God and how they worship each other. So when you hear this strong language, by the way, and if you get a chance, it's actually great reading. You can sit down and read the whole book in one setting. I love short chapters and short books. Bless the Lord. When he's like, you, he's saying some strong, it feels like almost as if you ever touch the tip of your tongue to a nine volt battery and you're like, oh, okay. That's kind of what this text felt like to read this morning. If you want to get into chapter two, that's when he hooks up actually the jumper cables to a diesel battery and sticks them underneath your armpits, okay? It gets really graphic when he says, hey, I want to smear offal on your faces. The loose translation of that is, I want to take dung and smear it on your face, you priests. The literal translation is, I'm going to take the undigested portion of the small intestine of your sacrificial animal and wipe it on your face. I'm going to despise you and your descendants. Ouch, Elliot, ouch. Many people are as old as me. Forced my kids to watch E.T. on vacation. They just wanted Reese's Pieces afterwards. They missed the whole point. The Lord did a grace awakening in my life because I hated myself for years. I lived under condemnation and guilt and fear. I grew up in an independent Baptist church. I knew hell was hot and I was a sinner. And by the grace of God, I was getting out of it. Uh, God loved me, but he didn't like me very much. And I stayed there. And I had a grace awakening in my 20s where I actually believed that what Romans 8 is, is true. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law, the spirit who gives life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering for us. And so he condemns sin in the flesh, watch this, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. Hot dog condemnation, years of demonic bondage towards this own self-hatred and perceived self-hatred from God. And all of a sudden, I'm free and free will, like, oh my gosh, Jesus likes me, and I actually like spending time with him. This is a whole new kingdom. The Jesus I never knew existed is secretly true. Woohoo! It was great. But I need to confess to you, it's really hard for me to read vengeance, wrath, and disappointment language. Now, some of that's tied up with my relationship with my earthly father. Um, Some of that's tied up to my own brokenness. But I think at least I'm now at a place where I feel so much safety, security, identity, and purpose in the covenant of God that was secured by the shed blood of Jesus. I can step into strong conversations. I can hear God say some pretty strong things and know that I am still 100% in his arms. And that perhaps the more responsibility, more love, and more he trusts in me with my kingdom, the more I am responsible for. Too much is given, much is expected. Okay. Wow, there's some strong words in here. And I need to hear that, especially as a pastor and a people. Like, hey, how, how are you safeguarding the practices? Are you making sure you're bringing the best? What does it look like? Are you honoring you know, your wife? Are you honoring your promises? Are you making sure you're not oppressing people? So I want us to be a place where we can have a strong conversation with God. Because he's not a distant deity far removed. I would say even in his sovereignty, he's emotionally involved with us. 
He's latched his promises and covenant to us. And so he's going to get down with it sometimes, right? This is Jacob. He wrestles with Jacob in order to make him Israel. So sometimes I think we think we're excluded from the wrestling match. Oh, no. Sometimes I think he's inviting us straight into it. So it, I just want, I'm learning along with you. It's easy for us, even in doing good things, to fall asleep. Sometimes, especially when you're first starting out a kingdom dream, there's a lot of momentum and excitement and newness, and then it just turns into hard work and sacrifice. And it's easy to fall asleep doing good things. Or just to do good things, but your heart's far from it, and secretly you're like, you don't want to do it, and you're kind of sabotaging it and tanking it and gossiping about other people because you really don't want to be there. Happened to me about two years ago. I was working at a great church, Legacy Church, large church, doing young adults ministry. Super grateful uh, for that. A um, lot of uh, favor in the kingdom and using my communication skills and gifts. Had a great uh, Tuesday night Bible study called Kairos. Um, but something was changing in my heart. There was a kingdom dream that was coming that was different and that was new and that was making me mad because it was interrupting my good life. Like, no, 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 no. I, I, I just got my doctorate. Uh, I just got my kids out of preschool. No, no, no. I, we, we, Lord, this, these are supposed to be the healthy years, right? I'm tired of the last 17 lean years. Let's stay with some consistency and stability because I'd like to be tested there to see if I'm still faithful. <laughs> April 2021, pandemic hits, squirreled away in my attic because it's the only place I can find peace and quiet in my house when my kids do online school, right? What an oxymoron. In all respects, especially students, teachers, I don't know how you do it. Like, ugh. Uh, me being easily distracted, I'm like, I can't be distracted by that. So I'm hiding in my office. Now, uh, I read a lot. Uh, as a kid who grew up with ADD, reading disabilities, learning disabilities, and I can specifically remember praying, God, I need an insatiable curiosity about you. And I struggle to read, but I really want to know you more. So give me an insatiable curiosity. Boom, happens, great. So I'm a vibrant reader to this day. And I read everything. Um, and at the time, I'm reading the autobiography of Bruce Lee, okay? You guys know who Bruce Lee is? Let me show you a picture, just a reminder, get you a visual. Okay, there's Bruce, all right? For you young people who don't know, you can get familiar after the talk, all right? Quick point of reference, Bruce grew up in Hong Kong. He was actually born in the States while his dad was traveling, so he had citizenship. He was a hoodlum, street thug, got in a lot of fights, cocky, arrogant, brash. His parents see what's happening, they're like, we gotta direct this in some form of shape, fashion. They enroll him in martial arts school for discipline and training. Spoiler alert, he succeeds, he does great. He masters like two traditions. He's 17 years old. He gets in another street fight. The cops come to his door. They give his dad a heads up. Hey, we're coming to arrest him tomorrow, and he's probably going to do jail time. His dad says, bye, Bruce, and ships him to America. So he's 17. He gets to America in San Francisco, and he discovers an intoxicating freedom of America where you can think differently. You can think for yourself, and you can do things in a different way. And he brings up his long frustration with martial arts, with all of its forms, traditions, styles, and requirements. Why? Because here's what he knew. None of that mattered in a real life street fight. So he wanted to strip it all down 
and create a style of fighting that only mattered for real fighting. And that's when it hit. And that's when the kingdom dream came in the middle of an attic when you don't want it. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, Chris, what if we were brutally honest about all the time you're spending leading a church if it's really working to actually make disciples in the real world? Is it really translating it? What if we took a look at every single activity, every single dollar we spent and says, does this align to two things? One, our message, Jesus is Lord. Two, our mission, make disciples that make disciples. What if we could strip it all down and go, you know what? With a humility and insatiable curiosity, I wanna discover what it looks like to create pathways to equip ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God to make disciples where they live, work, and play. And if it doesn't matter for that, we're not doing it. Let's keep it incredibly simple, reproducible on every level, and let's raise up the next generation to take it by full force. One of our principles in our church is we don't lead anything a student can't lead the next week. If we do, it's too complicated. So that's when it happened. And for me, as I look around, the kingdom dream usually becomes by naming the nightmare that's around you. I looked in my neighborhood and realized most of the men I know are living quiet lives of isolation and desperation. They couldn't name another man who they're honest with on a weekly basis, or someone they would trust. Their kid got popped with a DUI and they were out of town that they would actually call and say, hey, would you go get him out of jail? Women around us are busy trying to give this motherly picture of perfectionism, but they are running themselves ragged and are rarely honest about what's going on in their home, let alone their heart. 70% statistically of the marriages in my neighborhood are in trouble. And here's the biggest heartbreaker, the leading cause of death in our community for students is suicide. What does the kingdom of God have to say about that? 109 new people move to Nashville every day and here's what's tragically ironic. In a city known for Southern hospitality, very few people can actually find meaningful connection. Because here's what we do down south. We're nice, but you're not invited in. That's what everyone who's moving here can't understand. Like, well, at least where I came from, everyone was just rude. You guys are at least nice, but then there's no, they're still following. And I believe this, that extended spiritual families are the hope for our wholeness and healing in our communities. I believe it will release the hope of heaven and joy and justice of kingdom dreams are birthed in extended spiritual families so that people can experience on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what began our kingdom dream. Local church, a bunch of micro churches meeting out of houses, extended spiritual families led by ordinary people who live in gospel community and who own the mission of Jesus for those who believe and yet to believe. It's not centered around a person, a place, or necessarily a talent. My job is I'm pastor to microchurch pastors. I equip and encourage and disciple you to make disciples right out of your living room and around your breakfast table. Hot dog, we start out with one, multiply to three, launching five. It's great. Still people, still life, still family, still tons of conflict. I had a pastor of a legacy church who's just like, oh, okay, well, well, tell me what you do about spiritual discipline. <laughs> and then he goes, I guess you could ask me the same question. <laughs> the thing about it, our microcosm is you can't hide. Everybody knows everybody has other junk. Like, it's like, oh, great. Everybody likes the idea of community. A lot of people don't like the reality of community. Oh, I actually have to work on stuff. That's what we're processing through, and I think that's what you guys get, and I'm learning from you. You be a part of a kingdom community, right? This is where dreams are hatched, incubated, birthed, encouraged, and the stuff that God could do is limitless. But we get in trouble is when we just 
at least in the words of Malachi, we just go to church and stop being the church. By the way, church is not an activity, it's an identity. It's who we are. By the way, just so we're clear, Sunday morning, this is the after party. Right? We're just celebrating what happened during the week. How the saints, you disperse, now we're gathering and going, all right, where's God at work? How are you joining them? Who's got a burden to bear? Who's in crisis? Awesome, let's go. Good, now let's, let's scatter. Let's go and tell and make disciples and see where the Lord is moving fast and furious. So real quick, I just I want to let you guys see some of the things that are, here are the chief complaints and see if any of them that maybe you feel like you're guilty of, or if you know someone who is, you can just point to them, okay? Just find them and go, yeah, definitely Todd back there has been robbing God of the tithe for two months, okay? You guys don't roll like that? Okay, sorry. Anyway, here's just some of the complaints. You're bringing sad sacrifices. You're not bringing the breast. You've broken your promises to God and to your spouse. God brings that up, like, hey, honor your spouse, and then uh, robbing God of the tithe, and then by saying it is useless to serve God. Those are some of the broken promises and priorities. There's more in there about don't exploit your workers. You can, you can read it as well. But I just want to let the word of God till up some ground and soil in your soul and know that in all the harsh words, there is always a call to repentance and return, returning. He says, return to me. This is when I, by the way, Every single pew and position and doorway in this church has been prayed over for you to hear the voice of the Lord today. And I've been praying for you guys this week, and when I'm rereading through it, just underline this one part in chapter one. It says, resolve to honor my name. And that's where it went kaplunk in my spirit. Return to me. Resolve to honor my name. Why? Because I'm a great king. He's the king of the universe. And I surrender and I submit to him. His sovereignty, oh, it's beautiful. His kindness is incredible. I'm not in charge. I am a steward of what it is that you're doing. Return to me, resolve to honor my name, and then renew your covenant vow. He says, the covenant vow I made with the kingdom of priests was of one of life and peace. Just forget, as New Testament Christians, we believe in the priesthood of all or if you want to say, I believe in the pastorhood of every single person in this room. Because you have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And that we equip the saints to do all the works of the ministry. And you're going to find out more about that in the next couple of weeks when you take a look at apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Realize who you're wired and why some people drive you nuts in the family of God. And how when you don't have all those voices working in conflict and in harmony, you're missing out. That's going to be a blast. Send me the cliff notes. Anytime you awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep, I think you'll discover at some point during that time the dream feels like a nightmare. That everything that you hope to see is tested and challenged and wrecked in your own natural abilities and all the lies that you believed about yourself feel like they're true. What's happened to me on my journey with starting microchurches, and then it happened a couple weeks ago, a buddy of mine, who for 17 years had been a part of an organization, but for a series of reasons, some that he chose, some that he did not, that time is coming to an end. Doesn't know what he's gonna do next. Pretty scared. Um, 
got a wife who's diabetic and requires medication that's pretty much above their insurance pay grade, young child dealing with some special needs, and him not knowing. God's just told him, go, and he doesn't know what's next. And as I'm sitting there listening to him, my buddy, uh, he says, the Lord usually speaks to me in dreams and pictures, and by the way, I want those kind of friends, all right? For some reason, the Lord won't trust me with that stuff, probably because I brag about it a lot and be really mysterious and creepy, but I love people who that happens, like, yeah, give it to me, give it to me. And so he said, man, the Lord's just given me this picture, and I'm expecting him to tell me like something in his imagination or whatever, but it's a, a legitimate painting. He says, this is a picture I came across and the Lord's been speaking to me about. I'm like, okay, tell me. So it's called Checkmate. Uh, it's a painting, let me make sure I get the author's name right. Frederick Reach. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's hung in the Louvre for a while. Sold at Christie's in 1999. It's in a private collection at, at this point. But if you can see, this picture obviously has a sinister character or the devil on a chessboard making a Faustinian bargain, if you will, right? Playing for the man's soul. He's arrogant, confident. And then there's the other guy who's forlorn, realizing defeat is coming, knowing the inevitable. Checkmate. I says, that this is a little bit kind of how I feel right now. And whether you're in a job transition or not, you guys know what it's like to live on mission with Jesus and feel that, that checkmate moment, Right? All of a sudden, the bill comes in and you've got nothing but debt to pay? Checkmate. You go to the doctor, you thought something was wrong, but now you have a name for it. Checkmate. Divorce papers come in, and you find that you're engaged to loneliness and bitterness. Checkmate. You struggle with perfectionism on the highest levels in school and relationship, and athletics, and academics. And the anxiety attacks that you quietly hide is because you'll never live up to everyone's expectations, especially your own. Checkmate. You look at your kids, and all you see is all the ways they're going to fail. And then quietly you're reminded about how many ways you've failed them. Check me. And you look in the mirror, and honestly, your first thought is, God's made a mistake with me. I'm broken beyond repair. Check me. And we have moved and manipulated as many pawns as possible only to delay the inevitable. Check me. This is where it was going. I don't know if I wanted to wake up to this kingdom dream in the first place. But thanks be to God, we have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus spent three year, years on planet Earth awakening a kingdom dream in other people. Towards the end of it, he's down to a handful of followers. The guy he's picked to succeed him has denied him three times. And he's being beaten, taunted, and spat at by the very people he came to save. It's Friday, he's being crucified. It's Saturday, his cold, lifeless body sits in a tomb. Check me. 
You've been there. I've been there. And my friend was there. But here's when he brought it back. At that moment, I was ready to go into pastor mode, right? Even though he's my buddy, I still got some tools in my back pocket. It's like a multi-tool. Hey, everything works out for a reason. You know, just, just let go and let God. And just have some more faith, bro. Are those things true? Sure. Are they wildly inappropriate at a moment like that? You bet. Because here's what I've learned as a pastor. Be present and dignify people's grief. Don't enter in with a quick band-aid and a quick suture. You be present and you acknowledge that. And you ask the Holy Spirit when to speak and when to listen. He said, but you know what? I was really encouraged because I did a little digging on that painting, Checkmate. I'm like, oh yeah, tell me. Uh, he said, there's a legend that goes behind it. And since then I've researched it. I can verify the majority of it from a 1900s chess chronicle. As the story goes, it's in the Louvre. A group of people are going by. It's just, I picture tour guides as kind of British and snooty. And so if you're British and snooty, I apologize. But I, st- I like that stuff. I have a friend who, never mind, that doesn't work. Let's just checkmate, blah, blah, blah. Moves on. And as he moves on with the group, they're at the next painting. He looks back down, and there's one guy who's not followed the group. He is studying the painting, probably a little bit too close for the tour guide's liking, with a mathematical intensity. So he shuttles back to this guy, and excuse me, sir, at this portion in the museum, you have to stay with the group. The allotted time to look at this picture is over. I would like for you to rejoin the group. Man without breaking eye contact from the painting. Can you remind me the name of this painting? Tour guys, yeah, that I know for certain. It's called Checkmate. What he couldn't know is that the man studying it was a world-class chess champion. Who then pauses, leans back from the painting, and turns to the tour guide and says, you're going to need to change the name of this painting. And he said, pray tell, why would I do that? Because the king has one more move. Because the king has one more move. And if you got a kingdom dream in you and you're gonna leverage it and you're gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, you need to remember, men and women, that no matter how dark it gets, how despair it gets, no how much Satan comes after you to try to crush your family, your finances, or your future, you need to be able to say, the king, the king always has one more move. Death is dying, disease is crying, and the old order of things is passing away, and behold, he is making all things new. And you have this promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. So whatever you're walking through, you need the gospel reminder through the minor prophets about a major message of King Jesus who has come to establish his kingdom here on earth, no matter what you are facing. Amen.